Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Today, I want to talk about, there are quite a few cases. Uh, we have a lot of court cases going on right now. We have the Ahmad Aubrey case going on in Georgia. You have the Kyle Rittenhouse case going on in Wisconsin. Um, man, there's there's a lot happening around the country. There is a, a shooting that took place um, in Mexico, in, in Cancun. I want to show you some video of that and talk about that a little bit. Uh, there, there's a lot. There's a lot happening right now. I want to get into this um, Ahmad Arby case just a little bit and tell you, give you an update on that because no one's talking about this case. Uh, this is a case where a guy was apparently went into a house that was being built. It was under construction. And the neighbors across the street, you know, saw this guy go inside the house and he calls the neighbor, calls his son, you know, hey, you know, there's a guy going into the house across the street. And I think that's the guy that was there the night before. And so far they haven't, you know, they say, hey, that was not the same person uh, so far. And this case is happening right now. They're going to have closing arguments. And this case is going to go to the jury uh, this week. And then we'll see what the jury has to say. So basically, the guy, uh, Ahmad Arbery, comes out of the house. is under construction. He take, He's jogging down the road, takes off running. And uh, the homeowner across the street, along with his son, they jump in a truck and they take off, you know, and, and chase this guy. Another neighbor, you know, sees what's going on. This guy, he joins in on the chase. And they're chasing him, trying to block him in while he's running. And so there's no no telling what was going through his head because he was shot and killed and he can't testify. He can't give us a statement on what, you know, he was perceiving that was happening while he was running down the street. And so he didn't take anything from the house. And that's important to know because when it comes to using force, a deadly force, when it comes to property, 
You know, if someone goes into a home unlawfully, that's burglary. They, they come out, they start running down the street, and if they're taking something, you can use force, a daily force, to stop them to recover that property that, they, that they've taken immediately after in a fresh pursuit. And that's important because he didn't take anything. There was no, you know, he didn't have anything. Apparently, he just went in just to take a look at the house that was under construction and then, you know, continue on running down the street. And so they chased this guy, blocked him in, tried to block him, block off his path. He changed directions. They block him. He changed directions. They block him. And then finally, they catch up this guy, and he decides to put up a fight. He puts up a fight. They end up shooting him, killing him right there in the road. And let me tell you, I'm going to tell you how to get away with murder. Uh, because if this was not videotaped, at all, if the, the guy who was in the vehicle behind him hadn't recorded this, uh, this video, we wouldn't be here discussing this case at all because it would have been their word against his and the fact that there was no video to show anything, then hey, you know, the guy apparently went into the house. He you know, may have, may or may not have stolen something and we wouldn't be discussing it at all because, you know, they never would have gone to trial. The fact that there's a video of them chasing this guy pretending like they're law enforcement, they have the authority to pursue someone and, and have the authority to conduct an investigation and try this person and convict them and then execute them on the street in Georgia. The fact that this was on video means that, guess what? Now we have a trial. And so this case is going to be handed over to the jury. They're going to do closing arguments. Um, and I do want you to take a look at this video here that we have of one of the... Uh, perpetrators in this uh, who executed Ahmad Arbery. Take a listen to this. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. You know what? Actually, the, the prosecutor in the case, let me go back a little bit because the prosecutor, before we roll this video, the prosecutor talks about how he doesn't want, um, he doesn't want preachers, black preachers to be exact. He doesn't want black preachers in the courtroom because he feels that when black preachers are there sitting next to the family of Ahmaud Arbery, they can influence the jury. Now, this is important. I want to bring this up because there are several cases that we have here in Austin, Texas, several cases that we've talked about over the years where someone who's defended themselves against law enforcement, against a police officer, uh, which we think, you know, on this show that they were justified in defending themselves, end up getting prosecuted and convicted of murder of a police officer when they we believe that they were justified. And the police officers packed the courtroom to influence the jury. So that's why I want to bring that up a little bit, because this is a common practice around the country when law enforcement officers, you know, they want to you know, persuade the jury or to intimidate a jury for a particular outcome, a particular case. They will pack that jury with police officers in uniform. And so no one else can get into the room because they're filled with law enforcement officers in uniform. That's important to know, to, to bring up, because, you know, he's saying and, and this means that they know this tactic. They know this actually happened, and this happens around the country. And so by uh, Al Sharpton or whoever, whatever, you know, famous uh, uh, pastor or, you know, uh, minister sits next to the family, that's a possibility of that influence the jury to say, hey, there's something wrong here. and you know, we need to you know, pay close attention to this. And maybe this guy didn't do anything wrong and they killed this guy on the street. And, you know, and so, yeah, it happens.
happens to law enforcement, does it all the time, and now this family's doing it by having the 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 attorney, um, maybe possibly getting a, some famous attorney to sit next to the family or a preacher to sit next to the family. Listen to what the uh, the the defense attorney had to say. Now that's fine, but then that's it. We don't want any more black pastors coming in here or other Jesse Jackson, whoever was in was in here earlier this week, sitting with the victim's family trying to influence a jury in this case. And I'm not saying the state is even aware that Mr. Sharpton was in the courtroom. I certainly wasn't aware of it till last night. But I think the court can understand my concern uh, about bringing people in who really don't have any ties to this case other than political interests. Uh, and we want to keep politics out of this case. If a bunch of folks came in here dressed like Colonel Sanders with white masks sitting in the back, I mean, that would be good. Yeah, so, uh, wow. <laughs> that's, man, let me tell you, that's, that's some serious stuff right there. You got to listen to that and listen to how this is said, you know, and what's really going on here. I, I find this very funny, and I find this very hypocritical, you know, because it happens all around the country all the time where you have police officers will pack a courtroom to intimidate and influence a jury to decide a case on the way they want it decided. They don't like it when you play their game. In this world, I'm telling you people, it's all about chess. You got to learn chess. Don't play checkers with these people. Play chess. And in the game of chess, what's the object of the game of chess? For the white king, the checkmate, the black king. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so, um, man, this, this Ahmaud Arbery case is a very interesting case. I hope you guys are following this case. Uh, we'll see how this turns out today. This case will get handed over to the jury uh, this week. They should have closing arguments, and then we'll see what the jury comes back and says. Uh, the makeup of the jury uh, is only, you know, it's, it's, I think it's 
all uh, and pretty much an all white jury and, and only one black juror. And so we'll, we'll see what comes back. We'll see if it's a fail and partial jury. I, I think they should convict these guys, you know, just by looking at the evidence. I think they should be convicted, all three of them, because uh, they literally just chased the guy, you know, thinking that they're law enforcement. They have the authority to execute a citizen arrest. Uh, you got to think about that. You know, um, do you really can you do that? Uh, did you witness this person commit a crime? Because there's a 911 call where the one of the guys called 911 and the 911 dispatcher asked the guy said, okay, well, what did he do wrong? He goes, well, I don't know, but he's just jogging. So, so you know, what felony crime, you know, did, did you see that was in your view that says you can, you can perform a citizen's arrest? Now, this law was in effect in Georgia. When this happened, this law has now been since repealed. You can no longer do a citizen's arrest in Georgia uh, because of this case. But prior to that, you could do that. And so you got to ask yourself what crime has been committed. And I, I love to show my classes videos in, uh, in the classroom, in our handgun license course. And then I love to stop and ask the class, okay, you know, first, you know, what do you think? What would you do? What would you do? What would you do? I'd love to do that. And then I'll turn around to everyone and say, okay, fine. Now you told me what you would do. Tell me this, what crime has been committed? What crime did you witness just now that gives you the authority to use force or daily force against this person? And then everyone will stop and think, oh, well, nothing. Exactly. Just because your feelings, you know, you're feeling, you feel this way and you felt that, you know, something was wrong and you felt that, you know, possibility you saw this, you know, but you got to ask yourself, what crime has been committed? In Texas, you know, was it aggravated kidnapping? Was it murder? Is it sexual assault? Is it aggravated sex assault? Robbery, aggravated robbery. Was this person attempting to enter or move someone from their home, their vehicle, the place of business? Were they committing burglary? Were they committing, you know, criminal mischief or theft during the nighttime? You know, any of that stuff. If not, then you don't have the authority to use force, daily force, and you cannot perform any type of citizen's arrest. You know, what crime has been committed? What did you witness? What did you see? And if you can articulate that, you know, just like the Kyle Rinhouse case, if you don't have the, if you can't sit on the stand, once you pull that trigger and articulate why you pull that trigger, I suggest you don't ever pull the trigger. And there's some videos we're going to show later on in the hour, but I'm going to tell you the things that we're going to talk about today. I want to get into um, uh, the Cancun shooting. I want to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. We're going to get into the Ahmad Aubrey case a little more. I want to talk about the NRA. Let's get into the NRA just a little bit. All right, so the National Rifle Association um, has come out with a nice little article talking about the Supreme Court and the right to bear arms gets its day in court. And basically on November the 3rd, it was a historic day in this country. Remember November the 3rd because the, our constitutional rights in the United States, the Supreme Court, they dived into, you know, more of our rights to see, you know, hey, you know what? Did we, did a previous court either not look at this case or they not decide, you know, when it comes to the Second Amendment, you know, when it comes to being on a subway train or a subway, like, for example, in New York, should a person have a right to defend themselves? Well, in 2008, the U.S. Supreme Court confirmed what was already clear to most Americans. The Second Amendment protects an individual right to keep and bear arms, including handguns, regardless of service in an organized militia. In 2010, the high court ratified the equally straightforward principle that states 
that states and localities, and not just the federal government, are bound to respect that right. Since then, however, the U.S. Supreme Court has remained virtually silent on the Second Amendment, with lower courts filling the vacuum by denying most Second Amendment challenges to gun control laws that came before them. It took over 10 years for the high court to revisit the meaning of the Second Amendment in depth. And you got to think about that, because the First Amendment, you know, everyone has a right to the First Amendment. Everyone has a right to the Third Amendment. Everyone has a right to the Fourth Amendment. The Second Amendment has a lot of restrictions. There's an age limit on the second. There's no age limit on any other of our constitutional rights. Is that what our forefathers thought? You know, is that what they wanted when they wrote our constitutional rights? Okay, you can have all your rights for everything else, no matter what age, everyone, except for the second. We're going to put an age limit to that, and we're going to put a lot of restrictions to that. But all the other constitutional rights, you have the right to do them. And there's no age limit at all. Think about that concept. Last Wednesday's argument proved worth the wait with the right to keep and bear arms at long last being treated with the dignity and respect accorded other constitutional rights. A treatment notably lacking in many of the lower court cases. As in the 2008-2010 cases, it took a particularly unusual and sweeping restriction to command the justice's attention. Those earlier cases involved what amounted to outright bans on the possession of handguns. The current case of the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Brune. Concerned New Yorkers may issue, you know, a license of a, hand, a concealed handgun to carry. They can do that in, in New York. The state only lawful method for carrying a firearm outside of one's home is to get this license from New York. New York's, you know, requires the presumptive denial of most applications with only those showing an extra, extraordinary need for self-defense, meaning that, you know, you can't get your license, a concealed handgun license in New York unless you absolutely can prove that you really, really, un there's an exceptional reason why you deserve to have this concealed handgun license. So, and that's going to be different for most, you know, compared to most states. So in practice, this means that a New Yorker's access to the Second Amendment right to bear arms depends on the person's locality, the, wh the whims of local licensing officials, and particularly in New York City, whether the person has been a public official or attain celebrity status. So if you're a public official or you're a celebrity, then there's a possibility you can get a concealed handgun license in New York City. The right, in other words, is treated as a state-administered privilege for those in the upper class and the special people. The arguments in Brune were notable for their length, depth, and the degree to which the gun control advocates de defending the law departed from the more confident and sweeping assertions uh, their counterparts typically make in lower courts. Now, the justices heard nearly two full hours of argument here by three highly, uh, highly great advocates. Uh, the resulting transcript is it's 136 pages. You, you know, if you if you you're sitting on the toilet someday, you just you need to pick that up and take a take a read because it's a re it's some really good stuff. Uh, the, defending New York's law was New York State Solicitor General Barbara Underwood and in special appearance on behalf of the Biden administration, Brian Fletcher, Principal Deputy Solicitor General for the U.S. Department of Justice. All of the court's justices joined the questioning of the litigants, with both sides being pressed to, you know, opine on complicated questions of law history and hypothetical scenarios. 
the justices will certainly have their work cut out from them in, for them in, in, in sorting through the, the competing claims of the litigants and the numerous uh, friends of the court that submitted briefs on a variety of topics. But several themes emerged during the argument that seemed to resolve issues that lower court cases, perhaps even, you know, treated as open questions with the, the gun control side re retreating from some of its bolder claims. Underwood, for example, admitted that on behalf of New York, that with regard to the hit, the, the Heller decision, I almost said Hitler there, the Heller decision, she is, <laughs> uh, she is quite content to treat it as rightly decided and has, you know, has no quarrel with it. More fundamentally, though, both Underwood and Fletcher treated as a given that the Second Amendment applies to carrying firearms in at least some public places for purposes of self-defense. The gun control litigants also argued that legitimacy of gun control laws primarily hinges on the history and tradition of arms regulation in the United States, rather than on a balancing of interests that allows judges to put their thumbs on the scale for whatever side they happen to prefer. In admissions that may come back to haunt them, the gun control litigants acknowledge that New York's scheme is a bottom and an attempt simply to restrict as much as possibly the, the total number of firearms in the state, regardless of the risk profile of their possessors, they're saying that, hey, in a country with the Second Amendment as a fundamental right, simply having more firearms cannot be a problem and can't be a government interest just to put a cap on the number of firearms, according to Clement. Now, the justice also proved the length of for, uh, linked for answers about what sorts of restrictions would still be permissible. And if New York had to recognize a right to bear handguns publicly as a general matter, this seemingly would not have been necessary if the consensus was that New York's current regulations are permissible. There are, of course, no guarantees that any court case will go any particular way. So we're going to see how this all plays out. There was every indication that those thresholds were met in the Bruin oral argument, that for now it is substantially victory in vindicating the Second Amendment and one that was made possible by the, the National Rifle Association and members and supporters. So we'll see how it all plays out. We'll see what they say um, in a few months you know, from the High Court of the United States. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. No, no worries. We're back and we're talking. We're going to be talking about, let's see, Cancun. I want to talk about Cancun. I also want to talk about uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. But you know what? Let's jump into Kyle Rittenhouse. All right. So, man, that case was its own fire this week. A lot of stuff happened. And I, I think it's an open and shut case. You know, if the if, if there's a good jury here that's really paying attention and they're looking and they're really observing. They have an open mind. I think, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse should be found not guilty. I think he should, the only thing he should be convicted of probably is going to be the gun charge, which is a misdemeanor. Um, I don't think there's any way around that. Uh, he was, you know, un- I believe he was unlawfully carrying the rifle, according to the uh, Wisconsin law. So he should be convicted of that. You know, and, and, and let me tell you something. You know, I don't pick sides when it comes to this stuff. You know, you got to you need to understand the law and know what you can and cannot do if you're going to carry a firearm. You also need to pull your pants up and realize that when you do pull the trigger, there are some consequences of you pulling that trigger. And there's a possibility you may have to sit on the stands and justify why you pulled the trigger. And if you're, you know, and unfortunately, if you're not old enough, you know, to express that and to get that out on a stand for a jury, then you may want to think twice about pulling the gun out. You may want to use something else. That's just the facts of it. So let's get into this a little bit. Um, we have uh, got one video. I didn't set this up really well at all. Uh, but there's um, want to get into the first video of Grosskreutz. How do you say his name? Do you know how to pronounce his name? Grosskreutz. Grosskreutz. Yeah, whatever. Mr. K. That's great. It's a G. Is it a G? Yeah, the... <laughs> <laughs> the guy with uh, one arm now. Huh? Yeah, who said, my arm was obliterated. He loves saying that. My arm was obliterated. Well, if you didn't point your Glock at somebody and put it in their face, then he, he wouldn't have blown it off. Uh-huh. You know. But take a look at what this idiot said on the stands. On the stands. I'm going to show you what has been marked as Exhibit 67. Uh, that's a photo of you, yes? Yes. Okay. Um, that's Mr. Rittenhouse? Correct. Okay. Now, you'd agree your firearm is pointed at Mr. Rittenhouse, correct? Yes. Okay. And once your firearm is pointed at Mr. Rittenhouse, that's when he fires his gun. Yes? No. Sir, I don't want to. Does this look like right now your arm is being shot? That looks like my bicep being vaporized, yes. Okay. And it's being vaporized as you're pointing your gun directly at him. Yes? Yes. Okay, so when you were standing three to five feet from him with your arms up in the air, he never fired. 
right? Correct. It wasn't until you pointed your gun at him, advanced on him, with your gun, now your hands down, pointed at him, that he fired, right? Correct. Do me a favor, freeze that right there. I want everyone to see this guy's face. Because that's the face, at that moment, he knew he messed up. <laughs> right at that moment. He knew he was done. And the, the, the prosecutor uh, sit there and put his hand, his face into his hands, because he knew at that moment he screwed up. Because it somehow, you know, you're not thinking about it, the truth will slip out. And the truth came right out. Look, dude. You pointed your gun at this guy, whether you meant to do it or not, so you say, but you did it. He didn't know why you're pointing a gun at him, but you, when you pull back, you put your hands up, he put his rifle down. When you went forward, you pointed a gun at his face, he, what, what was his words? Viscerated. Uh, uh, what did he Obli say? Vaporized. He vaporized yeah. your arm, and just like he should have. Maybe he should have pulled it up a little higher, <laughs> but he vaporized your arm. You know, and, and that's and that's what happens. You play. Listen, people. You play with games. This is what happens. Um, I had. I've, there's a few letters I want to say about this. You know, it's F O F A. You know, figure that one out. And he F O'd and F A'd <laughs> right there. At that moment, he knew he messed up. People, you play games, and this is what happens. You need to understand the consequences of your actions. Uh, this guy apparently, and people are saying that he was a convicted felon. I don't think that's true. I think that I. I the way I'm reading everything, uh, Mr. Grosskrauts, have you pronounced his name? I think he had a handgun license that was expired, and so he was unlawfully carrying a handgun, and so he should be charged as well, and he should be uh, he should be sitting on trial as well because he you know he 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 instigated this incident, you know he was the reason why he was shot, you know uh, by them uh, acting like a mob, like a bunch of thugs, bunch of gang members, thugs attacking someone. They got exactly what they asked for. You know, if this guy was, you know, um, Rittenhouse is running. They literally trying to, this guy kicked his face in. Another guy hit him with a skateboard, and then he's pulling a gun on him. What is he supposed to do? <laughs> so I, I think he should be not guilty. I, I honestly think this is not guilty. Now, Skip says, GG was a good guy with a gun, said he was addressing what he thought was an active shooter. Now... <laughs> this guy was a thug, and he thought he was a police officer, and he's going to chase someone down the road, you know. And, you know, you, you thought you were apprehending. You're trying to apprehend someone. You don't kick him in the face. You don't hit him with a skateboard. You know, you know, you don't pull a gun in their face and not say freeze. You just pull a gun in their face to try to shoot them. So you mean a good citizen doesn't whack someone with a skateboard in the head? <laughs> While they're chasing him down the road and knock him down? No, nah, I don't think so. I'm not buying that. They're all a bunch of thugs, bunch of thugs, bunch of criminals. And I tell you, I, when I watch this video, I eat, I eat it with, I eat some popcorn and watch it. It's hilarious to me. They all got what they deserve. And and then take a look at um, and I, I'm gonna dog everyone out today. Everyone, I said it once and I said it again. If you're going to carry a gun, you need to learn what the laws are in the state that you live. You you got to learn what the laws are. Oh, <laughs> you got to learn what the laws are. In, in the state that you live in. Learn what the laws are and learn use of force and daily force. Learn where you can and cannot take a firearm. Because if you don't, you're gonna have to articulate why you pull, why did you pull this gun out on the stands? If you can't articulate that, that's gonna look bad. Now to the jury, 
this um, Rittenhouse probably looked pretty good. To me, I think he looked bad on the jury. Um, I think the, the prosecutor, you know, kind of tripped him up a little bit. You know, but we'll see what the jury says. I still think he's not guilty. But take a listen to Kyle Rittenhouse on the stand. I, once I take that step back, I look over my shoulder and Mr. Rosenbaum, Mr. Rosenbaum was now running from my right side. Um, and I was cornered from in front of me with Mr. Zeminski. And there were There were three people right there. Alice, can I get some tears for $200, please? <laughs> I didn't see any tears. I'm sorry. No tears. I didn't see it. I, yes, I feel sorry for this young man. I feel very sorry for him. Um, I think, I, like I said, I think he was in the right. I think he did what he had to do. I think he was trying to avoid the situation at all costs, and he wind up having to pull the trigger um, and do it. You know, but I'll probably be in that same situation if I have to do it, and I'll sit there and fake that cry, fake crying also. Try to get myself out of this situation when I'm back to the corner. Everyone's going to do it. Um, like I said, if you can't articulate it, you know, the man, this week, I'm going to tell you, I, the, one of the things that happened this, today, this week in our Life to Carry Handgun course, I had a young man that was in class and he went to Houston to participate in a card game. And he won, him and his friends won a large sum of money. I want to say between, you know, probably $45,000 between the two of them. And so they get in their car, and then they drive back to Austin. As they're driving back to Austin, they get to Columbus, Texas, to stop and switch drivers to get gas and change drivers. One person goes into the store, and when this happens, uh, two guys jumped out of the vehicle, grabbed one guy by the throat, put a gun to his face, and robbed him. They actually followed him an hour. From, the dest from where they came from, the origination point, to that gas station. They were very diligent in following him an hour to rob them, take the money, and then get away. And so this was all caught on, it was all caught on camera and everything. Um, and the one thing the guy said to me, he's like, man, I wish I had a gun. I said, why? It wouldn't have changed anything because, one, you were inside the gas station. You didn't even witness anything. So you having a gun would not have changed anything. What would have changed is if you're aware of your surroundings at all times. Try not to put yourself in those situations initially. That's what should have changed. So you know that you won this card game. Okay, I'm going to go from point A to point B. I'm not going to stop, and I'm also going to make sure that no one's following me. I'm always aware of my surroundings, uh, checking to see what vehicles are behind me. That's why I take all those extra steps. I have three cameras in my vehicle. Take all those extra steps to protect myself. And you also have to check to make sure you're not being followed. Uh, it happens all the time in Austin with business owners. When they go to the bank, happens all the time. You never see this on the news. 
because one, they're embarrassed to talk about it. They go to the bank, and when they're pulling out from the bank, someone follows them from the bank to their destination, whether it's their home or back to their business, and they rob them, whether it's going to the, from the business to the bank, and they get robbed. It happens all the time around the country in Austin. It happens a lot with bar owners here in Austin when they're doing their money drops. I'm telling you people, you have to change your route. Don't take the same route. Don't have the same schedule. You got to have a plan of what you're going to do. You need to make sure you don't make any extra stops. Don't stop at a store in between going to the bank or whatever. Do it at different times. Don't do it at night. Don't do that money drop, you know, you know, at night after the bar closes. Uh, you got to have different, you know, I, and I find myself, you know, doing a lot of different things where I will switch vehicles. <laughs> I will switch vehicles in the middle of my route sometimes. I do a lot of different weird things. You know, I do that because I take my personal safety very serious. And when you're doing things like that, you're making those drops, you're doing that, you got to think there's a possibility someone's following you and because you're doing the same routine every single week or, every, you know, and they know that routine. It could be an, an employee that, you know, that doesn't work there anymore and they know your routine. You got to think about those things. You got to be a, look around, put your head on the swivel when you're doing these things. That changes things. Not necessarily you having a gun may change anything. Because when someone's got the gun pointing in your face, there's nothing you can do. They got to jump on you. What are you going to do? Nothing. But you can do something prior to that by not putting yourself in that position. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so let's go to Mexico. So Cancun shooting. A video shows moment uh, gangsters open fire on rival drug dealers outside a luxury resort in Cancun. I've been to Cancun several times. Let me tell you. Nice place. You always have a great time. You can relax and just chill. And it's been an unwritten written rule that, you know, gangs, you know, the, the drug lords, drug cartels are not supposed to, you know, supposed to be like a little safe area. Ah, they seem to be breaking that rule now. So surveillance uh, surveillance footage captured the moment a group of Mexican gangsters launched a shootout that left two suspected drug dealers dead and four Americans wounded at a resort in Mexico. Uh, take a look at some of these videos. All right. And so gunfire erupted on the beach by the Hyatt Ziva Rivera Cancun in Porta Morales on 4 November. Now, officials said that a party of 10 to 15 armed criminals with ties to Sinaloa cartel arrived on the beach by boat and shot dead two suspected drug dealers in what, what's been described as a targeted execution. Now, the video surveillance cameras on the property shows the alleged assassin wandered on the beach with large guns before the shooting. And this is a, this is, that statement there is according to Lopez Dorega uh, Digital. And the minutes later, the gunmen are seen rushing toward the resort and tackling a man who was later shot dead. Um, and so also you'll see, you know, you see the, the, the people that are visiting there, the tourists, you know, all gathered together in one little area and then finally allowed to go back to their room, you know, 
um, after the all clear was given. Uh, crazy scene there in Cancun, uh, Mexico. This is, like I said, normally, you know, it's, it's a great place. Awesome place to go to. I love, love Cancun. Relax. I love the hotels. I love having a great time. Love the beach. I love the pools. I love just sitting in the room, you know, love the hot tub. And when something like this happens, so, man, you can just never t- let your guard down anywhere. And unfortunately, we can't take guns, can't go. Yeah, I try to get a permit in Mexico. They're like, no, dude, that's not going to happen. And if we do give it to you, you can only carry like a 32. I was like, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> I need more power. Uh, they, they have uh, AKs and ARs over there. The drug cartel. 32? Yeah. 22. Uh, 32 caliber. Yeah, I know, 32, right? 32. Huh? Yeah, I say, no, you can only have like a 32 caliber. I'm like, come on, man. Seriously? 32 Magnum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crazy. Insane. So that's Cancun. All right, so uh, let's see. Um, some other stuff I want to talk about today. FAA. All right, so the... The FAA, you know, Zach, we talked about this one time when I said, you know, I talked about the FFA and I talked about unruly passengers on the FFA. How many, how many passengers do you think have actually, uh, the, the government has taken a case to court, you know, I, and, and, and keep in mind the number of incidents that have happened this year. Oh, a bunch of them, Like right? doubled, yeah, almost tripled. Isn't it a high number of incidents but a low number of prosecutions? Only 37 passengers of cases have been taken, you know, have been, you know, prosecuted by the DOJ. 37. Out of hundreds, right? Out of hundreds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so more than 5,000 passenger complaints. So the Federal Aviation Administration, which cannot prosecute, cannot prosecute violent airline passengers, has sent only 37 of the more than 5,000 passenger complaints this year to the Justice Department highlighting a significant challenge when it comes to enforcing the strict rules for the increasingly unruly skies. Now, FFA said it was it has sent the most egregious cases to the Justice Department in a rare joint statement issued you know, by the two agencies there. And keep in mind, you know, if they may not prosecute you, but let me tell you, there is a fine. So if you do screw up, you know, you may not be prosecuted, but I guarantee those 5,000 passengers uh, the 5,000 passenger complaints, they receive the fine. They can get a fine up to $13,000. <laughs> and and so the multi... Uh, Wait, so the uh, passenger gets the fine? That's, that's right. So like if if, they're, if you're unruly on the plane, you have to remove you from the plane, you're going to be fined. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they will fine you. Maybe that's what they want. They don't care about prosecuting, but as long as they get their $10,000 yeah, They can find you, fine. And, then, and then usually the airline will bar you from flying on the airline. And now that, that gets you from that airline, but doesn't mean you can't say, okay, well, now I've been kicked off. We had to make an emergency stop in Denver, Colorado. We're supposed to go from New York to California. We made an emergency stop in Denver, Colorado, kicked someone off the plane in Denver. Now they have to go to another airline, buy another ticket to get to their destination because they are banned from flying on that airline that they got kicked off of. Jeez. Yeah. And that's why I just drive. You know, I drive myself. <laughs> Uh, the multi-agency announcement comes after months of pressure from airline worker unions of, for the federal government to get tougher on violence on commercial flights. And flight crews have reported 5,033 such incidents so far this year, and the FAA has initiated enforcement action in 227 cases. Uh, where the evidence supports criminal review, the FAA re- refers the cases to the FBI, the joint statement said. Now, and the FAA also unveiled a new public service announcement on, announcement on Thursday highlighting an FAA letter referring a case to the Justice Department and outlining an actual fine issue. You don't want this letter, Dad says. 
hoping to deter, deter bad behavior. Now, but unions underscore that in many cases, passengers walk free. The FAA does not have the power to prosecute criminal cases, only assess civil fines up to, guess how many? Guess how much? Ten grand. I thought it was 13. It's $37,000. They can give you a fine up to $37,000. Wow. That's, um, I'll take the jail time. <laughs> I heard they taped a guy to his seat once. Oh, yeah, they do that several times. That's, that's They don't have handcuffs, so, yeah, they duct tape him to their seat when they're unruly. Ooh. I need all male, I need about five male passengers to the front of the plane, please, so you can hold this person down and then duct tape them to the seat. Yeah. I bet a bunch of people just jump at that opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I'll hold some guy You know down. what? Yeah, I need to get this frustration out. Let's tie this joke up. He's been irritating me, you know, all day, so definitely let's tie this sucker up. His son's been screaming. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. An Austin passenger was fined $32,000 after she punched, screamed, and snatched cookies. So the Federal Aviation Administration released its list of fines for unruly passengers on flights, and the biggest was charged to a woman flying out of Austin Burstrom International Airport. The woman, one of 5,114 year-to-date, <laughs> the FFA reports of unruly behavior, and she was fined $32,000 after a flight from Austin to San Francisco on Horizon Air on May 18. Now, the passenger was one of more than 100 passengers uh, that caused this, you know, this disturbance involving a physical you know, assault. Now, according to the FFA, the passenger did not follow crew instructions to fasten her seatbelt. She punched and screamed at her husband and son, repeatedly diverting flight attendants from their duties, and she threw trash at a flight attendant and snatched cookies from a nearby passenger. You know, so, man, that's when you ask your wife or your girlfriend to, to handle that. <laughs> Honey, I need you to handle this one for me. <laughs> it wasn't the only Texas case. Another woman going from Dallas to Fort Worth to Asp you know, Aspen uh, Dallas-Fort Worth to Aspen was uh, fined $23,000 on March the 11th after she verbally abused flight attendants after she realized her assigned seat would not recline. <laughs> Even though multiple passengers offered to switch seats with her and she eventually switched seats with another passenger, the woman continued to verbally abuse attendants and then struck a flight attendant on the right forearm and attempted to do so again. And the woman refused to comply with the face mask policy and was met by law enforcement at the gate. Um, you know, this it's, it's, it, it, this happens a lot. And, and, the, and the agency, you know, has announced more than $225,000 in fines ranging from $9,000 to $32,000 against 10 total passengers, you know, out of Austin. Austin Burstrom Airport. The FFA said disturbances have been on a decline since it implemented its zero tolerance campaign in March to curb inappropriate behavior on flights in January through it's still too high, and the agency is opting to find passengers for problematic behavior that U.S. airlines have had to ban at least 3,000 since last May. So, wow. $225,000 in fines out of Austin Burstam Airport because of unruly passengers, ranging from $9,000 to $32,000. Man, just... It was just get on there, sit down, read a book, and be quiet, and go from point A to point B. They say, put on your mask, put on your mask, put your seatbelt on, put your seatbelt on. Hey, can I have a drink? Get a drink, chill, relax, take a pill, take an aspirin. <laughs> That's it. That's how it tastes. Oh man, hey, let me hear. All right. Oh man, let's hear this PSA. 
fighting is not good when you're on a plate. They'll go to jail if they keep doing that stuff. I would be really scared. I would not like that if someone did that to me. They should know better if they're like adults. They're a grown up and they have to play a good role model. I think it's very disrespectful. You could distract the pilot if it gets that bad. That is so unsafe. They should stop. So listen to the kids. Listen to the babies. Adults. The children are telling you how to act on the plane because you don't know how to conduct yourselves. That's your PSA from the FAA. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. Man, the University of Texas. Woo, boy, it was close. They hung in there. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> They tried, they came, but they didn't succeed. Not at all. They hung in there. Maybe it's time to get rid of the coach. He's got to go. You get rid got of Steve Sarkeesian? Steve's got to go. Steve's got to go, folks. You got to go. See ya. Hit the dough. You know, he's got a, he has a guaranteed Six-year, $34 million contract. Oh, guaranteed six guaranteed. years? Oh, they can't get rid of him. He's, <laughs> they can. It's going to cost him. him. It's going to cost him. Yeah, it'll be expensive. You got to pay him for six years. Hmm. Got to go, buddy. You got to go. If you can't beat one of the worst teams in the country, <laughs> it's time to hit the road, Jack. Got to go. Sorry. We tried to hang in there for you. That's right. But it's time's up. See you later. Hit the door. See ya. Hit it. All right. <laughs> oh boy, I tell you, man, UT. We're gonna, yeah, we'll, we'll, we're gonna figure something out. Let's go back to the uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse case a little bit. Uh, is that the one I want to go back to? Oh no. Let um, let's go back to Ahmad Arbery case. All right. So and and someone uh, Harold says, I wish they stopped calling it the Ahmad trial because he isn't the one that's on trial. I wish they wouldn't title it that way uh well I, I think it's important that you know the the mention is name uh because these guys here that are going to be they're going to be convicted <laughs> they will come and go be put in jail uh but you got to remember you know what this is about this is about a guy Ahmad Aubrey, who was jogging went into a house was under construction and a lot of people do this you know i've you zach you know we've had this discussion discussion before yeah. you know how we you know, we're, you know, we're running, we're exercising or something in the morning, walking or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, hey, man, this house over here is, oh. <laughs> is for sale. And I'm like, no, Zach, I'm not going over there. Come oh, yeah, on. I went up to the house just yeah, he's, uh, he's, like look in the window. This empty house is for sale. Yeah, you're like, you're like, wow. You didn't want to come check it out. Absolutely not. I, I stood in the street. Did I not? That's <laughs> right. Did. I stood. Uh -huh. I'm not going to. It's like, no, come <laughs> on, man. Let's check it out. Let's, you know, let's see the doors open. Let's go in and take a look. No, sir. <laughs> not me. Mm -mm. I'm standing in the middle of the street. I guess I'm just brave. Okay? That's right. You're a whole other person than I. That's, I'm standing in the street so everybody can see me. <laughs> and I'm not going. I'm not going on the sidewalk. I'm not going anywhere near this empty house. <laughs> Are you all. saying I look friendlier and more personable than yes, you? Yes, sir. You look a lot more friendlier and more personable than I and I, I have heard not. that I look very friendly That's and right. personable. So you can get away with that. I cannot, and I don't do that. So <laughs> call it like you see it. That's all I'm saying. I call it like I see it. And it, it, we joke about that, but I, I do that stuff, you know, I'm serious about it. I don't play around with that stuff. 
Don't put my, I'm not putting myself in those types of situations. All right, so let's, let's go back to this case a little bit because the, the one of the attorneys in the case is like, hey, I don't want any. We don't want none of them black preachers coming up in the courthouse <laughs> at all because, uh, uh, you know, we, what we, got, you know we, we just don't want none of that stuff. Now, the judge, you know, kind of got irritated at you know, one of the attorneys also and kind of, you know, had a little nice talking uh, to the attorney. Take a listen to this. Agree or disagree with this court. That is your prerogative. But to act in the way that you just did in front of this panel, disrespect, I don't care whether you like my rulings or not or you like me or not, but in this court, the Superior Court, it is axiomatic that counsel show at least respect for what the court is doing. And what you just did shows a lack of respect for what the court is trying to do here, which is create an environment which is fair to all parties. I would suggest that you take a moment to think about that. I'm going to step off the bench because I found that, um, I'll just call it rude, right? Um, I have tolerated a number of things in the courtroom, including, you know, flip charts, writing in the middle of, I mean, the, the jury gets distracted when you were doing the flip charts here, jumping up and moving the boards. Um, I would suggest that you temper uh, some of that very quickly. Um, because it will not be tolerated in this court, and um, I, um, I will leave it at that. I do not need an explanation. I do not need an apology, none of that. But I would suggest that we take a moment and think about the way that you're reacting to the court's uh, instructions and rulings. We're in recess. I think the judge was, was quite nice, you know, in, in putting it that way. Say, look, you need, dude, whatever you're doing, stop doing it. And you know what? And we're going to stop and take a little break here because, you know, <laughs> I may say something that I don't want to say because this is a live broadcast and everybody in the world is watching this. So he said, we're going to take a break. And so, and he was actually pretty nice compared to the the judge that was in the, uh, that's in the Kyle Rittenhouse case. You know, he wait, and they both waited until, of course, waited until the jury left the room before, you know, he gave them that nice little talking to. Now, going back to the Ahmaud Arbery case, um, you know, the, the things that you say on the 911 call, the things that you say when the police arrive the scene, keep this in mind. That 911 call is going to be used in court. So if the 911 operator asks you what crime this person, you know, what is this person doing wrong, and you say, I don't know, but he's running, <laughs> that's going to be used against you in court. When the police officer arrives at the scene and they start asking you, well, you know, come on, well, tell me what happened. You have a right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Remember that. Take a look at the dash cam video. We have two, different, two separate dash cam videos, uh, pretty much the same guy, same guys, talking when the police arrived the scene just as they got there. Take a look and listen to this. Any other weapons or anything on you? Just that. Okay. If he were to stop, this is what I know. That's fine. That's fine. Like I said, just... Take a breath. You're, I, okay. I, I want it done right. <laughs> I got you. So. This doesn't look good. I mean, it just shot at me. Last thing I've, last thing I've ever done, I want to do in my life. All right. And, and then we got this other video. Take a look at this one. I said, Travis, the same guy that broke in the house down there. Who's Travis? My son. Got shot again. Okay. 
I said, come on, let's go. McMichael says he grabbed his gun. Travis McMichael grabbed his shotgun, chasing Arbery for several minutes when their neighbor, William Roddy Bryan, joins. Bryan, who recorded the shooting when it happens, has publicly maintained he was just a witness, but that day he told police he got involved in the chase. I hollered at them. I said, y'all got him? They got down to the end down there somewhere. I must have passed him because I pulled out of my driveway. I was going to try to block him. Brian questioned if they should have chased him in the first place. A new clip of the video Brian shot, also released today, shows Brian trying to stop Arbery before the deadly confrontation. We run out to stop him to talk to him. Mm -hmm. He took off Stop. He came out of the truck running at us. I told him stop, stop, stop till he hit me. I had nothing to do. I could. Now that there's one altercation that happened by the guy that was following them. Uh, the the other neighbor there where he tried to ram or block Ahmad Arbery and so Ahmad you know landed against his vehicle and I, I thought it was funny there because the guy said well he tried to get into my get in my truck well no you actually jerked the wheel there's another video where he jerks the wheel and almost runs him over you know in the vehicle while he's running down the street this guy's you know he you guys are they're in vehicles and he's on his feet you know what what is he supposed to do what are you supposed to do in a situation like that and I, I, it's funny how no one's talking about this case. You know, this is, you know, everyone's, they're only focusing, and I hate how the media only has tunnel vision. They're only focusing on the Kyle Rittenhouse case. They're not focusing on the Ahmad Arbery case at all. And, and this is a very important case. It shows how you are not, you cannot act like a vigilante. No matter how much you think you can, you don't have that right. You're not law enforcement. You're not police. You're just a gun owner. I don't care if you used to be a police officer. I don't care if you're a retired police officer. You're not law enforcement. You're not working. You're not in uniform. You're not on duty. You need to call the police, 911, let them handle the situation, get a good description of that person, take a video, get a picture of them, maybe follow. You cannot chase someone. You can't chase them, can't block their path to stop them from going about their way. You're violating their constitutional right by keeping them from going about their business. You don't have that right. And, you know, and uh, I had uh, Skip ask me this you know, early in the week, you know, well, who do you, you know, when it he, when he looks at the Rittenhouse case, he said, you know, what if the other guy had a gun and pulled this gun out first? I said, he who has a gun, he who pulls it out first wins. That's the bottom line. And then, you know, here's how you get away with murder. You know, don't videotape it <laughs> and keep your mouth shut. When the police get there, let your attorney do the talking for you. I'm not trying to teach you how to get away with the crime or anything like that. But, that, hey, that's the fact of the case. That's how it is. And the only reason why we're talking about the Ahmad Arbor case is because the guy that was in the vehicle behind them recorded the thing. And there's a video of it. If there wasn't a video, we would not be here discussing this case today. Wouldn't be up for discussion. It would not have gone to trial. You never would have heard of this guy's name at all because this didn't even come up until like four months after the incident even happened, four or five months after it happened, only because there's a video for the media to pick up and there's some meat to it. We had, it was juicy then because there's a video. There was no video. You never would have heard of this guy. And then they never would have been, go they never would have been arrested. They never would have gone to trial because it took them months after this was released to the media for there to be an uproar in the, in, you know, in the communities, you know, in Georgia and around the country, they decide to finally arrest these guys and charge them with something because they, they would have gotten scot-free, gotten off scot-free if it would have stayed out of the press. Um, when we come back, I want to talk about Remington. Uh, gunmaker Remington is moving to Georgia. I want to talk about this pastor who 
pulled, you know, who actually, you know, grabbed the man uh, that was guy pulled the gun out in, in church. And so he stopped that shooting. He stopped the mass shooting. Uh, very heroic pastor there. We're past, a pastor there. We're going to talk about him. And also going to talk about this boy who's jailed for murder of a friend in a decapitation attempt. Going to talk about that. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. You know, Zach, we didn't talk about the uh, the concert because we weren't on air uh, last week because of the race and stuff. So we never did talk about the concert down in Houston. Oh, Travis Scott. Travis Scott. That's right. Uh, and some people asked me, you know, what my thoughts were about the Travis Scott concert. Well, to me, that's going to be a complete security mess up, screw up. So whoever's in charge of security, whether it's the Houston Police Department or whoever's the head security, this is going to be something that they screwed up. And also the, um, the who is promoting the incident, you know, they screwed up as well. Here's why I say that. Because the moment that the crowd, when they opened the gates and the crowd rushed the gate, that concert should have been shut down right then and there. It never should have started. That was a complete security breakdown. And it should have been stopped right there and canceled immediately. They didn't do that. That was their, there's your sign right there. The reason I say that is because it's not about people rushing the stage. You just had over 100 people rush the gate, hop fence, break down your, your metal detectors, get inside the concert, and they were not checked. You could have had guns in there. It could have been a shooting that happened or something like that. And that's the worst case that I'm thinking of. So immediately, if I'm head security, if I'm the Houston Police Department and I'm in charge of security, I would have shut that concert down right then and there because we have a serious breach of security. We just had 100 people go to the gate. They weren't checked. You know, we don't know if they brought in guns or anything like that. And all these people are talking about, I was drugged. Someone stuck me with something. I don't think so. Please stop saying that crap. You people know that you were you were doing drugs, you bought drugs when you went there, because that's what happens to these concerts. You know, all these little underground concerts that happen around town, around the country, and concerts like that, Travis Scott, they're, you know, you're, you're, you're doing acid, you're doing crank, whatever. It, so save it. Save it for your mother or whoever else, you know, going to believe your lies. Because no one ejected you with anything. You took it yourself, because that was the purpose. Everybody that went to this concert was high. <laughs> okay, so en enough of that. So that's, and that's the bottom line. It's going to be, you know, head of security. You sh that concert should have been shut down the second that they rushed that gate. You should have shut it down, made everyone go home, because we have a serious breach of security, and this, this place is not secure. That could have been a bomb. That could have been a gun. Could have been anything. But it turned out that end up, people end up rushing the stage and crushing each other because they were out of control, and your first sign was you lost control right when the gates opened. Yeah, that was at 2 p.m. also. Plenty of time VIP to shut it down. Point was destroyed. Exactly. So it, everyone wants to point the blame at you know wherever they're trying to point the blame, but that that's where it lies, right there with security, and no one has mentioned that at all. There's their sign. All right. So I want to jump over to Smith, talk about Smith and Wesson, and also Remington. So Remington is moving. They're going to Georgia, and Smith and Wesson is also moving. They're going to Tennessee. And you know what? It's it's about time. And they've been in the Northeast. And you got to think about it. You know, why are these manufacturers in the Northeast? 
Why are your major manufacturers there? Well, because that's pretty much where the country, you know, all started. We all, everything started in Northeast and they've been there for decades, decades of decades of decades since the beginning. So, and that's where they stayed. And because of the restrictive gun laws in those states, they're saying, okay, we're done. We're done. That's it. We're fed up. We're leaving. And we're glad. I'm glad they're leaving. It's about time. And I got so much stuff on order, man. Please, I need you to hurry up and get moved <laughs> so well, so we can get this stuff taken care of. You know, so I need my Remington Tac 14s. My goodness. Let's, let's, let's make it so. Make it happen. Blink, blink, click your heels. Let's go. So Remington, they're out of there. It's a Georgia deal of $100 million, an 856 job deal that's going to happen. So the company announced Monday that it would invest $100 million in the operation in LaGrange, Georgia, southwest of Atlanta. That's just north of uh, Columbus, Georgia. They're north of uh, Fort Benning, hiring 856 people over five years. That's going to be big for that area. LaGrange, Georgia, that's a little small, little rinky-dink town. So, man, that's going to be huge for them. It was not immediately clear what effect the transfer would have on Remington's operation in New York and Tennessee. The company owns the parts of the former Remington Outdoor Company, which makes rifles, shotguns, and some handguns after the former parent auctioned its assets in pieces last year during a bankruptcy proceeding in Alabama. Uh, and a lot of people forget about that. So they went through a bankruptcy, bankruptcy proceeding, which, you know, which stopped the manufacturing of a lot of firearms. And so we're, you know, with COVID-19, they're going through bankruptcy. You know, now they're going to be moving. This, this slows down the manufacturing of firearms. It's, everything plays into all this stuff, you know. And so it's, it's going to take, it's going to be three years, Zach, three years before we get back to normal to where, you know, there's some decent stock of decent stuff in all the stores. Three years. Only your, your big box powerhouse stores can actually get, you know, and, and you know, get some stuff. And no one can maintain it. Like the distributors? Yeah, distributors, you know, having a hard time keeping stuff as well. It, you know, comes in, it goes right out the door. It's like, and I ask, I'll ask them, I talk to them every day, you know, hey, are we getting back to normal yet? No, nowhere near back to normal. So it's going to be a while. I think it's going to be three years before we get back to normal. Yeah, there's so many different shortages from it's simple cardboard to ship things in boxes to uh, like motors, especially things made out of metal and aluminum that People, usually I, come from China. It, it's funny, funny you say that because I didn't even think about that because I'm seeing, I see stuff that comes in. I'm like, why is this in a, this type of box? You know, why is this gun in this, uh, you know, re, you know, refrigerator box? Or something? Yeah. This is really weird, like really weird stuff that you don't, you don't see. Why are they reusing the box? You uh -huh. know, I'm seeing they're reusing them. Folding down other yeah. boxes to make a box of that size. As simple as, as not having the box to be able to ship stuff can hold stuff up. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. And and, 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 and and some people are just so impatient when it comes to getting their stuff. Let me tell you, you walk to the gun store and you're all upset and you're yelling and screaming because you're not getting your gun. Let me tell you something. You just walked into a gun store yelling and screaming. We're not selling you a gun. <laughs> You walk in yelling at me. Why am I going to give you a gun? <laughs> think, that gun back. think about that concept. You, you walk in yelling at me. Why am I going to sell you a gun? That's <laughs> about as smart as uh, yelling at your waiter or waitress, right? People are so stupid. And I, you know, I just sit there and laugh like, really? Okay. Are you really doing this? So Remington's moving. They're going to Georgia. Uh, Smith & Wesson is moving. They're going to Tennessee, so th this is good. I, I hope we hurry up and get this done so we can finally get back to normal. All this stuff came about like in, you know, like right September, October, November time frame. So hopefully, you know, by next, you know, it's going to take years because they got to build the building or get it all outfitted, get it ready to go, and it's going to be hard to get. It, it, here's the thing. So they're getting new technology, getting new stuff. 
So whatever chips or parts that they need, it's going to be a delay in getting this building done because I've been told that the chips that they need to work the equipment to make certain automated stuff is backed up. <laughs> yeah, that's holding up uh, car production as well. Right, right. You know, the chips for the cars and the chips for the equipment that actually makes the cars. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's like it just it doesn't stop. It's just ongoing. It just doesn't stop, you know. Why can't I get a brand new car? You know, well, there's several reasons why you can't get a brand new car. All right, so let's talk about this pastor. So uh, got a pastor uh, disarms a man who pulled out a gun during a church service. Now, the horrific actions of a pastor and, and parishioners potentially prevented any blood from being shed at a North Nashville church. And so, you know, man, I tell you, and, it, and it, this is amazing because you don't hear stuff like this. Because uh, usually when you walk into a church, the only person that sees the door is the the preacher, you know, the minister. Everyone else, all the, you know, the parishioners, you know, their backs are to the door. So they can't see who walks in the door. That's how the churches are set up. And so it's it's up to the pastor, you know, unless they have some type of church security. And so I'm I'm happy that a lot of churches are actually getting security. They're having someone in the parking lot, you know, watch the parking lot doing service, and they have a security in back of the church, you know, just to make sure that no one comes in, you know, and they're able to to defend themselves if they do. And I'm glad this this pastor had his head on the swivel. He was aware of his surroundings, and he protected the members of the church because we don't hear stories like this all the time. He was able to take the gun from this guy and stop any bloodshed whatsoever, including the guy that walked in with the gun. All right, so a boy was jailed for murder of a friend in a decapitation attempt. So a teenager has been jailed for a minimum of 16 years and 36 days for murdering his 12-year-old friend after luring him to a woodland and attempt to decapitate him. Now, the 15-year-old boy who cannot be named for legal reasons repeatedly stabbed, you know, this uh, young man on the ground off of Alcorn Green in Fishtoft near Boston, Lincolnshire, on December, tw- December 12th last year, just two days before his 13th birthday. The teenager's trial at Lincoln uh, Town Court uh, was told, uh, this guy, this guy, man, just, you know, this guy stabbed this guy, this, this in the neck, this is just crazy. It's a crazy, nasty case. Um, so you, you, you gotta, you know, we, we, parenting, parenting, parenting is always a problem. It's something that I always talk about. You gotta, you gotta parent your kids. Uh, and lastly, I want to talk about Alec Baldwin. He says Hollywood productions should, uh, they should hire police officers to inspect on-site firearms. Oh, Alec trying to pass the buck there. You know what? If the buck stops with you, you know, you're that person that when someone hands your gun, no matter what, you need to check. Like I tell my students in class. If you're before you put your hands on the gun, one, don't put your finger on the trigger. If you're right-handed, take that right index finger, put that right index finger on the side of the gun. Pick up the gun and then brew the magazine and check. This is Michael Cargill, and you've been listening to Come and Talk It. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. 
It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 